Hey, I'm so excited to be back with you guys on our podcast today. We are wrapping up what Jonathan Kahn calls uh, the first member of this dark trinity of demonic principalities and powers. We're, we're wrapping up the spirit of Baal. Uh, the Bible says something really amazing that uh, we actually become like that which we worship. In other words, whatever we fashion and form with our own hands uh, becomes an object of worship. We end up becoming like that object. So, for instance, if uh, if we create something that's deaf and dumb and unable to move, eventually that's the spirit that comes upon us. We become deceived and dark and we're, we're unable to be the people God's called us to be. We're going to look at two amazing uh, instances in American culture today uh, that maybe you saw or didn't see in the news uh, that are uh, kind of a resurgence of the spirit of Baal in our culture today, and it's unmistakable. We're going to look at the template of apostasy in, in Exodus chapter 32 and notice that this is exactly what America is guilty of today. Uh, and again, re- recognize that Baal is alive and well in America and that the only solution is a massive repentance and return to Jesus Christ and moving again in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is truly the hope for each of us and the hope for America. We're going to dive into that today. You will not want to miss this podcast. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. And for those of you who maybe have forgotten who Ron Johnson is, that's me. And uh, I haven't been around He's for back. A, a couple of weeks. Uh, but man, it is back. This this little table here where we get to come together for uh, our weekly yeah. podcast is a, is a comforting and fun time for me. So uh, I've, I've missed your smiling face and uh, missed all the uh, opportunity to talk about important issues. But it is it, this represents the, the, the beginning of the comeback. I hope to complete the comeback yeah, this Sunday. Uh, I've, I, I was t- telling somebody, I think this is the longest I have missed church in my... If you took every Sunday I missed in my entire life and combined it, it would it would feel like what the season I'm going through now. I mean, I yeah. just feel like, wow, this has been a long, a long time disconnected. But anyway... Uh, I'm getting healthy again. All the issues that were uh, at, at at risk or at or problematic are now f- fixed, and uh, and just healing and getting my strength back. So yeah, we're very thankful that the Lord's healing, healed and healing you at the same time. But it's been fun watching uh, again this whole month as we featured our pastoral staff, including yeah. yourself. What a great word on uh, on Sunday about emotional health that you shared. And uh, just seeing our team, you know, sharing each week, it's been really, really fun for me. And I realize the blessing that God has given us here at Living Stones as far as a, a wonderful team. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I've been chill on that regard. I've been chilling out and just enjoying the ride, but I, I've just missed the fellowship. So, I, Well, yeah, and, and it wasn't an easy ride. It wasn't like you're sitting <laughs> yeah. home and just resting. You know, you, you've been through some battles, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that hasn't been easy. Yeah, so, so we're going to dedicate this show to prostate health. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't no vacation he was on, okay? I can say that. We won't, we won't go into the we'll details. details. But it was no vacation. <laughs> but I'm know. encouraging every guy to make sure that he takes care of that part of his life and if yeah. there's any symptoms get in and see the doctor and get it taken care of before uh, other things happen so yeah. anyway but uh yeah so i don't know we have to come up with a color is there is there a national prostate health color you know we should make a uh, march uh, prostate awareness month <laughs> yeah. i don't know everyone gets a month now i want, I want to have a month for listen it's got to be a shade of blue somehow it's got to be a shade of blue, blue. yeah yeah, I don't know what month it was. Press it's a, it's a, month. It's a yeah. dude thing. So anyway, yeah. 
Anyway, but back to where we more important things here. Yes. <laughs> it's not like we missed the podcast for a couple of weeks and nothing happened in the world. My mm-hmm. goodness. Uh, I like to go through my news feed every day. When I say I like, it's depressing, actually. But you you see uh, so much of what's happening in the world that, that our biblical worldview really gives us an explanation for. And that's why I've been so committed to Christ, to, to an ongoing study of Christian worldview and the Word of God, because it provides a roadmap for us to to navigate. It provides a, a set of contact lenses through which we see the world more clearly, and um, and never has that been the case more than it is even right now with all that's going on. And of course, we've yeah. been talk about where we've been uh, with the return of the God's book and uh, bring us up to yeah, speed. Yeah, just a quick review of the return of God's by Jonathan Kahn. Really... It's a paradigm-shifting uh, introduction in which um, the world is largely kind of reigned by these little gods. When I say gods, lower G, not the almighty God, and and basically demons, right, taking territory well, and dominions. And I'll put a pause there. You're talking about paradigm-shifting. Um, in our Western secularized culture, we don't even acknowledge what you just said. Yeah. And so talk about crazy, uh, even to many believers, uh, the thought that these demonic principalities and powers, which Paul talks about in Ephesians, right, um, are truly controlling regions of planet Earth, uh, dominating people, enslaving people. And if, you, if we move behind the newspaper headlines, we don't find, you know, men in, uh, in suits in high places. We find demonic principalities and powers yeah. that are actually blinding, deceiving, and controlling people. And that's a, that's a massive paradigm shift, even for even for Western Christians. Yeah, for probably most people who have attended churches, this is a huge paradigm shift. But if you if you dive into Scripture, it's absolutely scriptural. It's not just in the New Testament, it's in the Old Testament also. Yeah. You know, talking about the different gods that these Israelites were, were constantly um, seduced to worship. You know, you, you think after a while they would learn their lesson, right? After right. all the defeats and the punishment, but they don't. They keep going back to Baal. They keep going back to Amalek and these yeah, other gods. Yeah. Um, and, and the premise of the book basically is saying, you know, since the advent of Christ, um, there's been a sort of a, a repression of these gods. But but once kind of atheism has set in the Western civilization, it's left this emptiness for, for opportunity for these old demonic gods to return. Yep. And, and he's talking we, about what that looks we've like. We've talked about that. You know, all through, like you said, all through the New Testament, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And wherever the gospel of the kingdom was preached, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he reigns, that God Almighty's sovereign king over all the world. The world belongs to him. He's the rightful creator. I mean, the, the, on and on and on. So what's Jesus do when he arrives? He starts... He starts taking care of business. Yeah. These demonic spirits start manifesting, and Jesus starts setting the captives free, starts healing the sick, preaching the gospel of salvation, uh, leading people into eternal life through him. And uh, and like you mentioned, all of these old demonic strongholds were literally driven out. I mean, Christianity transformed the world, and thus we got Western Civ, which is all rooted in the gospel and our Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, and so we have driven out all these gods, but as he points out, when you leave the back door open or you uh, t- turn away from the Lord and reject him, you leave the house wide open for not only the spirit to return, but he brings seven of his friends, and it's it's, it's even worse. And that's yeah. what we're talking about, and that's why I think this book is so enlightening. What we're seeing in America today is the worst. And and if we would have said, oh, America or the world is worse off now in many ways than it was pre-Christ, 
Um, we go, well, wait a minute, let's just pause and think about that. Uh, but exactly what we're talking about today in terms of the sexual revolution, all the LGBTQ stuff, the uh, transgenderism, things that were just beyond the pale of, of not even science, but common sense. Uh, you're going, how in the world did this take over in such a huge way, um, Western Civ? And the explanation Khan gives for it is, what we're going to talk about today, is apostasy, the the rejection of God, the op- the leaving the back door open, so to speak, and the entry of, of not something that's new. The face of some of these things looks new because of technology, but it's the spirit behind it that is very much old school. Like, there's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says, and it's certainly the case as it as it relates to these demonic principalities and powers. And of course, we've been talking about the first of what he calls the dark trinity, and that's uh, the spirit of Baal. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we want to do today on today's podcast is wrap up uh, the, the work of Baal in the world today. And I want to begin by reading a passage from Hosea chapter 11, verse 2. It says, when the people... Uh, of Israel turned from God, they turned to Baals. And Hosea 11, 2 says this, they sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to carved images. And that word Baals is plural. Uh, it literally means to the lords, the owners, the masters. And we saw, you know, in the Bible, the, the, the word Baal, B-A-A-L, is a almost like a prefix and it's attached to many other words. And so that spirit finds expression in a lot of different ways, but it's the same spirit, and that's why in this passage it's plural. But if you notice the names given, these are names that should be applied to the Lord. Uh, the Lord's, the owners, the masters, that's who God is. That's, that's who the Lord is. And here, these are, these are what we, when we begin uh, the process of apostasy, we begin to worship Baal, as if he is the Lord, the owner, and the master. And uh, if you turn from the true and living God, some other idol is going to take God's rightful place. I love that that famous song, you got to serve somebody. Uh, there is no neutrality, as we pointed out. Uh, if you reject God, if you apostatize, you turn from the Lord, uh, you will worship something or someone else. And in Israel's case, as you pointed out, it was always Baal. Now, here's, here's the frustrating thing that you think we would figure out because you see this cycle over and over again. The Hebrew word that's translated here, serve, they served other Baals, uh, literally means to labor under, to be kept in bondage to, and to be enslaved by. And so it's amazing that when we reject God as the true God, we are inevitably going to embrace other gods, and those gods will enslave us. The end result is never better. The end result is always worse. Uh, it's bondage, it's oppression, it's restlessness, it's, it's a whole bunch of horrific things that, uh, that we get in exchange. It ends up in total bondage instead of fulfillment and prosperity and all the things. And I think one thing that it's, it speaks to me is Baal was a god of prosperity, a ring, right? A yeah. ring which leads to you fertility, know, fertility yeah. prosperity, and and pros- when, when, when we become prosperous, either individually or as a nation, we we all we're facing that temptation of giving ourselves to worship our prosperity, yeah. to worship the, the 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 money, the wealth, the the luxury, the indulgence, yeah. and when that happens, when we start worshiping that, then we become. Uh, a slave to our prosperity, to the money, right? Uh, how many people can you, how many really wealthy people can you really tell whether they are served by money or they are serving money? Right, 
Right. You can't really tell from the outside sometimes. Yep. In their hearts, they know. And mm-hmm. I, I know stories in which money have destroyed or prosperity have destroyed them. Now, as America becomes more prosperous, Western Civ become more prosperous, it opens a door to bail. And then that's when we have to make the decision and say, do we serve God or do we serve our yeah. wallets? Isn't it an irony that it's usually at the height of a nation's prosperity that they begin to apostatize? So it's not when we're struggling or going through the Great Depression or we're facing a world war. These are things that actually cause the people to return to the Lord, to seek God in prayer, to come together as a community. Uh, It's ironically when we are living in the heyday of economic blessing that we're most tempted to turn from God. And and you remember in the Bible, Moses said to the people, you're going to be tempted to think this is all because of your your doing. All this prosperity is because of you. It's not. It's because of me. And uh, and don't ever forget it. Don't ever think that you, it was your hands, it was your doing that brought about all this wealth and prosperity. And yet they, they, they as you pointed out, it's a it's a biblical cycle. And, and this is so difficult. I mean, I was just talking to a bunch of business guys. It's like when when you have all this in context. When the Bible says, "Seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you," He's giving you a secret order to prevent you from the worship of prosperity and be enslaved by wealth. Right. Seek for God's kingdom first. And prosperity will follow as long as you make his kingdom first. Yeah. So he's not saying you can't be prosperous or being po- impoverished is the, is the sign of you know, great spirituality. He's saying it's a priority issue, right? Yeah. You know, when you put his kingdom, then you can't be prosperous. But when you put prosperity first, then you will end up worshiping Baal. Yeah. This is a very practical example of what that looks like. And people are always uh, making pastors suspect by when we encourage the people this way. But the fact of the matter is giving and uh, first fruits and giving tithes and offerings, these are guide rails that keep you from falling into a spirit of greed and actually apostatizing in your own life and turning from the Lord. Because these are the guide rules, uh, uh, guide rails rather, that keep us on the path of worshiping the Lord and not worshiping the money or the blessing that comes uh, at the hand of the Lord, um, so. But this kind of put a face to, to uh, or a name to the dangers of worshiping your wealth. Yeah, and I, th- I thought that's a very powerful point because you see, this is not theoretical. The Israelites fell into that over and over and over again and received tremendous judgment. Well, and I think to understand, you know, there's a spirit behind greed. There's a spirit behind. Yeah. This apostasy—it's not just oh man, we you know we made some bad choices with our money and and we fell in love with our money. No, there's there's a spirit that's driving this. Uh, that's why the Bible talks about a spirit of mammon. It's not just greed itself; it's a demonic spirit fueling greed, which which means you never get satisfied. You're you know there's never enough. Uh, so there's a there is a super. I guess this is what I'm trying to say. There's a supernatural dimension. Yeah. Um, to idolatry. In this case, it's money um, or prosperity or wealth, but it's idolatry. It's worshiping the creation uh, before the creator, right? I just think we Christians need to be aware of this and maybe talk about it a little bit. (laughs) Awareness brings us a, a little fear of God within us. You know? I've seen I've seen men destroyed. You know they they get first of all they get the better job. It pays more money, and then they get a nice bonus, and then they start having the opportunity to work doubles, and then they like working doubles because they like the income that it brings. But before you know it, they stop coming to church. They're just tired on the weekend. Uh, their marriages start to suffer. Their kids are neglected. Um, but man, having that extra money sure is nice. It becomes like a drug. Well, they then create a a, a 
a, a lifestyle that requires that type of money, and right. then you're in the trap, right? So now you're enslaved. Yeah, you're enslaved to it, uh, to that lifestyle, which is killing you. Right. Uh, which kind of gets us to the next point. Uh, the the lords of America, he says, the lie of America was that if we turn from God and our Christian heritage, then we would find true freedom and fulfillment. And so we've seen this lie sold, especially in our universities that um, we need to throw away the shackles of, you know, our, our Christianity. Uh, I'm going to be doing a series coming up on um, uh, here not too soon, dealing with masculinity and femininity and men and women in Christ. And it's interesting, the, the, the most common lie is that Christian marriage is somehow uh, oppressive to women. It doesn't, is a horrible atmosphere for a woman. And the opposite is actually true. <laughs> women who are, are in marriage with godly, Jesus-loving men experience the greatest fulfillment and blessing. But you hear this over and over again on every front, whether it's capitalism uh, you, uh, as a, a vehicle of exploitation, um, whether it's the terrible uh, colonizers that we've always been, we go in and colonialism, we take over and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the picture is somehow Christianity oppresses and leads to uh, 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 slavery and dominion, uh, domination rather. Uh, but the opposite is actually true. But, but this is what the devil sells us. So we need to turn from from all those oppressive, you know, ways of bondage, the Ten Commandments, and all of that stuff that that, that doesn't liberate us. It oppresses us. It enslaves us. Uh, and so this is what we see, uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 8. Their land is also full of idols, and they worship the work of their hands. Uh, Khan points out in his book that that word work in the Greek is the word techne, and it's where we get our word technology from. So let's talk about that a little bit, because the principle is we become like what we worship. And so when men create idols with their hands, like we see in, in the book of Isaiah, uh, they make gods out of their hands, they become like the very gods that they create. Uh, the only difference is now we're in a high-tech God zone, and so talk about that a little bit. How, what's the relationship between uh, our own creativity, what we do with our own strength and power with our hands, and how it actually ens- enslaves us in the end? Yeah, this could lead to a whole other discussion <laughs> itself. First of all, we're not anti-technology. Right. We use right. technology. Even right now, we're using technology. And, and I think technology is rightful place in which there's a distinction between us who are made in the image and likeness of God and the works of our hands. It's technology is in a great place. It's, it's a great piece. It's a great tool for us to, to do what we need to do and, and for the kingdom of God. However, when you remove God from that whole picture, right. you take in the sense of there's a spirit in the soul and who we are and right. and life is just all like results of random chance and and artificial life is as as living as human beings are like there's no right. god element to it it's it gets scary and it gets dangerous right. and it gets super confusing for people no ethics no morality to guide right. you just because it can be done doesn't mean it should be done yeah. and as you pointed out like a simple thing like our our cell phone technology um what a blessing uh, how many times have you forgotten what your wife told you to get when she sent you to the grocery <laughs> yeah. store? Now, it used to be you'd have to go home yeah. and she'd say, what? You forgot whatever. And then you'd have to go back. But now I can just go, honey, what was that 
third thing on the list that I, or I can even take a picture of the list and it's on yeah. my phone. He's talking on, on FaceTime, <laughs> you know, looking at her face, asking her, oh, well, is this, is this yeah, item right exactly. here? Exactly. Hey, how do yeah. you like this? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, praise God for technology, but that same technology, as we pointed out, can be used for incredible evil, whether it's human sex trafficking or pornography or, or whatever else. So it's not the technology that's bad as what we do with it. Um, but I thought it was interesting. He said the ancient idols uh, were deaf, blind, and mute. They couldn't move. They couldn't act. But he says when you look at our high-tech idols today, uh, they see, they hear, they speak, and they do almost anything. And yeah. it, it really is true. If you're, if you're talking about a certain thing in your house, you start getting advertisements on your phone for, about the very thing that you were just talking yep. to your wife about. Yep. You know, you're like, wait a minute, is somebody listening? Uh, and yeah, somebody is listening. Uh, there's, there's data being mined all the time. Um, I think the worship of technology is something that many people have written about. Uh, whether it is in fiction or maybe in just even articles. I, I think, you know, right now there's a lot of talk about the dangers of artificial intelligence. Yeah. So that's an obvious topic. We're not going to get into that. I think something very practical is the worship of technology is simply how many hours we spend on our phones, yeah. on social media, right? Or, or, or watching, you know, Netflix or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, I guess we, we wouldn't consider us worshiping by watching a show. But when you watch it for 10 hours a day, and you're putting the priority of a yeah. show or, or, or your clicks on Facebook beyond other priorities, you are essentially worshiping technology. Well, if this has your attention, yeah, you know, for eight hours a day, ten hours a day, you're you're constantly engaged yeah. with your phone. You, you know, the, you see these pictures now where there's ten people sitting around a, a table at a restaurant and everybody's <laughs> looking at their phone. Right. You know, um, again, it it, be, it it becomes all consuming. Yeah. And uh, in the same way that any idol is all-consuming. But I think that's the point of American idolatry, is the very things we create that, that create and generate incredible wealth uh, and blessing end up becoming, we come, become enslaved to it. Well, when you take God out of the equation, out of that worldview, we're going to be enslaved to everything because you, you have a vacuum. Right, you're going to serve somebody. Yeah. Um, and this is interesting too. This we can talk about this a little bit because he he mentions this fabricated virtual reality world. He said in the pagan world, it was not only the god that was worshipped, but the idol, the image of the god. The idol and the god were one. Image became reality, and reality became image. He says in the paganization of America, the line between image and reality was likewise breached. Image became reality, and reality became image. And he's talking here again about this whole. Um, virtual reality world. Uh, this, this, and that whole line of technology is growing and growing. These these goggles that you can put on, where you can actually walk through a building or where you can be somewhere else in a meeting. Yeah. I, I mean, there's it's amazing benefits there, but there's also a real dark side, as we said. To yeah, I read somewhere like you know when Facebook became Meta. I need to talk to someone who actually understand this. I just heard a little bit about this. Like talk to our me, producer. He's an expert. Yeah, I think he's an expert. Right? There's a metaverse, right? They call it metaverse. So when when Zuckerberg, I think, changed the name from Facebook to Meta, he actually is creating some type of metaverse. It's like a virtual world, right. reality world. Where you own property and you actually spend real world money into that again, I don't I don't know enough to to yeah. to, to to critique it or to say its benefits or ups and downs, but it just it's just weird to me that how how what is not again what is real what is, what is not real right. becomes very like blurred blurred yeah. yep like what's on my phone what i see could be more real than or feels more real than 
this table and interacting with you, right? Talking to somebody online, I've never seen their face, I don't know their actual name, and that could be a more real relationship than me and, and right. my friend who's right next to me. Well, and there, there's a whole spate of movies that came out where the guy, you know, falls in love with the the, the feminine robot or uh, Siri on his computer, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. having a conversation with her. Yeah. You know, he has a relationship with. And I think that was the name of the movie was her. Uh, and I I went and looked up uh, before we got here. It was like the top fifteen. You know, uh, human, sci-fi, real, uh, AI, you know, digital relationships, uh, ro- robotic relationships. There's a whole spate of movies, like I said, that are that are pushing that technology. And then, of course, uh, this was amazing. The whole industry of sexual robots or sexual partners uh, where you can buy a robotic partner, mm-hmm. sex partner, and uh, industries that are coming out with all of that, which is completely depraved and perverted but again it's, it's this whole notion of trying to re- have a relationship with a computer or with a, uh, a machine uh, so again <laughs> the dark world goes dark real quick and you get into a crazy rabbit hole of uh, all kinds of perversion uh, we talked about the rise of artificial intelligence he says here as humans as computers became more human those attached to them became less so and I think that's that's interesting. He said the line, as you mentioned, between man and machine was blurring. We have a merging of man and technology, things like digital implants. I mentioned sexual and emotional relationships with the robots. Um, again, uh, just the the, the, prince, the same principle we read in the Bible is, is the same thing we're seeing now, only with high tech added into it. But it's the same spirit and same principle. Let's talk about something else. Which, one thing I love about Jonathan Kahn's books is he... He has an amazing way of connecting uh, the past and the present in terms of what's happening like in the news today. Mm-hmm. And not too long ago, I think it was 2016, um, yeah, September 19th, 2016, uh, this arch showed up in New York City, all right? In the spring of, just give a little history, in the spring of 2015, this was when ISIS was, you know, on a rampage uh, through the Middle East. They invaded Palmyra. There were two ancient temples dedicated to Baal that were kind of historical, you know, uh, um, uh, treasures, uh, if you want to use that word. Uh, They were historical artifacts. Uh, And there was an arch between the two temples that connected uh, the the worshipers, all right? Um, And what showed up in New York City uh, on September 19th, 2016, was a recreation of this 11 ton, made out of 11 tons of Egyptian marble, it was a recreation of the arch that led to the temple of Baal that Isis had destroyed. Um, it was placed in New York City, which itself, as Khan points out, uh, could be considered a spiritual temple of Baal because New York has been the vanguard of everything that that uh, you know is associated with apostasy. It's been the 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 open door, so to speak, of America to all these ancient spirits coming back in, including the spirit of Baal. And as we're going to see here, th- this was a celebration that took place in Lower Manhattan at the entrance of the city's financial district. You can look online. You can find a picture of the arch. You can find a picture of the ceremony. It's all it's all there. It was near Wall Street, the New York Stock Exchange, and, and near that molten bull that we talked about, the bull being a symbol of Baal um, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and it was erected on the grounds of City Hall, New York's central seat of government, 
and the city officials took part in its unveiling. And so here you've got this Middle Eastern music playing. You've got this giant arch that's enshrouded with a, a sheet. you got all the city officials out. It's this massive uh, ceremony. And you and I are sitting there going, okay, wait a minute, you know. <laughs> who, who commissioned this? Who paid for this? Is there like a secret group of Baal worshipers that, you know, that understand the connection? How did it end up in the in the financial district just right there down the street from where the molten bull was? Yeah. Um, there's all these symbols of Baal reemerging in this in New York City, again in a in a financial capital of America, the financial leading financial district of America. Um it's just crazy, and yet you know this is exactly what's happening: the the reemergence of the very symbols uh, and um, uh, the very spirit of of Baal, which we saw so prevalent in the Old Testament and and all the way through every civilization, you know, and various times in history. It's like, how does all this stuff happen, and who's yeah. behind all of this? But nevertheless, it's happened. You can look online, you can see the pictures. Uh, you can do your own research, as, as I did. It's the Illuminati that's doing that. Yeah. <laughs> this is where all the conspiracy comes out. I don't know anything about Illuminati. I'm just kidding. I'm just making a joke. But, I mean, it's weird. It's yeah, weird. it is. It's weird. It's like... But it's, it, but it's too weird to not pay attention to, like, the location, the timing, the the arch itself. Right. Like, who's putting ancient arches from temples in Palmyra that were dedicated to the worship of Baal? Who's bringing these things to New York City? Whose idea right. was that? That was destroyed... So now the recreation here is—is is there? They're trying to make a statement like that. Seat of power has been destroyed. Now we're gonna we're gonna establish the seat of power here in New York City. Like you yeah, and I, I mean, can't just like take some money and go to New York. Be like we're gonna build an arch in the middle of the city. Like no, there's like a million red tapes we had to go through, right, to be exactly. able to do something like How that. How to get there? Who was behind it? Uh, and it makes you wonder again. I mean, are, are there people who, as you pointed out? know what they're doing, are very intentional about it, or is this just a demonic deception? I mean, some, some people don't even know what they're doing right. or why they're doing it, Sure, but it's happening. And so now we've got this bull, and now we've got this arch, and they're all associated with Baal, and they're all associated with the financial district and prosperity, and they're all associated with New York, which has been the gateway uh, to a lot of the perversion that we're going to see, and Khan points out in his book. Um, he talks about uh, uh, the golden calf civilization in Exodus chapter 32, uh, which, of course, Moses was up on the mountain with the Lord receiving the revelation of the Ten Commandments, and when he comes down, um, there's all kinds of worship of Baal again. It, it, you, we see that the, the gold and the silver, the precious stones that were, that were given to the people of Israel who were slaves by the Lord as they left Egypt, right? All of that blessing was now converted into a golden calf, a picture, a symbol, an image of Baal, and all the people are now worshiping Baal, and and they're even saying, these are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. So it is a complete uh, picture of apostasy, and he calls it, a, a Gen or Exodus 32, a prototype or template of national apostasy, and these are some of the central elements that were present then and are present in America now. Number one, departure from the word and the ways of God. We're certainly seeing that in America right now. Rejection of the Ten Commandments. We've had the Ten Commandments completely thrown out of our classrooms and out of our public places. Uh, the process of deification. So we, we reject the one true God and we put something else in his place. We deify something else. Uh, the worshiping and serving of other idols. 
and the replacement of God with sensuality and licentiousness, which is, again, the whole sexual perversion component. And so back in Exodus 32, that's what they did. The people sat down, they ate, they drank, they partied, and then it says they got up and and they played. And that word uh, was, again, it was an allusion to... uh, incredible sexual immorality that was taking place in the camp. So it's interesting that with prosperity often comes sexual perversion and sexual idolatry. It's a luxury, I guess, of, uh, of the rich, right? Um, at least they think it is. Um, and so here we see the same template of national apostasy. Now, he also points out in conclusion that in our various places of government in, in our nation's capital, we have images, we have symbols which remind us that our nation was dedicated to the Lord. For instance, in the House of Representatives, on on the wall of the House, overlooking the Speaker as he stands at the rostrum, he or she stands at the rostrum, uh, we have Moses uh, with the Ten Commandments looking down as a reminder to whoever that is in that, in that body of, of representatives that the Lord is watching, and and that their responsibility is to stay true to the law of God, that the law of man should never contradict the law of God. These are these are embedded. This is part of the decor. This is part of the design. Uh, same thing with the uh, the U.S. Supreme Court. Moses is there with the Ten Commandments. It's a reminder that our law, our American laws, should always be tethered to God's absolute transcendent law. Uh, in fact, our legal system, our jurisprudence system, is tethered to the Ten Commandments and to the case law found in the Bible. That's the foundation of our of our legal system in America. And yet, we know what Baal does. Baal is the inverter; he's the eraser of the lines and the boundaries. And so, isn't it ironic that the very uh, uh, house that's that's the people's house where laws are created right and passed um, we're passing laws to remove the Ten Commandments say from our public schools or from our public places while Moses holding the law is looking down upon this the very people who are apostatizing which is basically what's been happening for the last 50 years in America uh, as we have undermined and rejected the law of God. Uh, so again, it, it's it's just way too ironic. Like you, you can't look and see that the very picture of the one looking at you is Moses. And there's a reason someone chose to put Moses up there. It's to remind us of our roots and to remind us of our heritage. But all that's been completely turned upside down now. And so it's ironic that the very place like the Supreme Court, the very place that was dedicated for righteousness and truth and, and uh, justice, which are all deeply biblical concept, uh, is now a place where injustice is many times promoted or perversion is promoted and made to be the law of the land. And, and so it's just, it's, it's just like schizophrenic. It's like, wait a minute, don't, don't you, can't you look around? I, I remember going out to the rotunda of the, of the Capitol and uh, David Barton was leading a tour and uh, David Barton's Wall Builders Association, which is an incredible organization, reminds us of our Christian heritage. But he points out I think it's three out of the four of the large murals are very religious in nature. Um, and uh, and he goes into great depth 
explaining what's taking place in these pictures. And there's a reason why those pictures are hanging in the rotunda. Uh, and again, you look at so much of what's engraved in, in marble, uh, the images, uh, the statues and who they represent and what they represent. Uh, and, and you just grieve when you realize we have turned our back on all of that. And now we are reaping a whirlwind of, of destruction in our nation because of it. But there's a spirit. Here's our point, I think, though. There's a spirit that is behind all of this. It's, it, it is demonic. It is, it is Satan himself. Uh, when we talk about these Moloch or whatever the names of these spirits are, obviously they're demons, demons but they all point back to Satan and his kingdom. And, uh, and you see the spiritual nature of the warfare that we are facing in our generation and every generation has faced since the fall. Um, and so his whole point was, and this is a, probably a good setup for where we're heading next, next week in our next podcast. He says, that which had been consecrated to God at its inception was now possessed by his enemy. Baal was first. He opened the door, but he was not alone. Uh, Con writes, he had a wife, a mistress, uh, the mystery of the enchantress. And so uh, in our next podcast, we're going to begin exploring another one of this, uh, the dark trinity, uh, the, the spirit of the enchantress. And this gets into the whole sexual dimension, uh, seduction, perversion, uh, that again is nothing, uh, nothing new. It's just wearing different clothes today. Uh, but it's the same demonic spirit that's been assigned to the destruction of every, every civilization and, uh, and certainly is alive and well in America today. So uh, eye-opening stuff. Yeah, absolutely, um, and uh, and it can't be more contemporary or relevant than what we're we're dealing with today. So I think one, uh, and we'll close with this. But part of why I wanted to jump into this book with you and with our our audience is I deal with a lot of parents who are like you know they're dealing with the radical transformation that's taking place, sometimes affecting their own families uh, with perversion or brokenness or bondage, and they're like you know it, it almost came like with blitzkrieg speed. And you're like, what happened? How did I lose my son? Or how did I lose my daughter? How are they trapped? How do I get them out? And what's going on? And I think for me, uh, as a pastor and spiritual shepherd, it reminds me that the essence of the battle is not, we're not fighting uh, education, we're not fighting government, we're not fighting the courts. Um, we're fighting uh, principalities and powers. This warfare is supernatural. And we have to fight on our knees for our children. We have to fight for an awakening in America. Um, and it's supernatural in nature, and we need the Lord. Um, we have to fight fire with fire, so to speak. We, and the weapons that we use have got to be spiritual, supernatural weapons, because we're fighting a supernatural uh, enemy. And it just reminds me that my hope at the end of the day for a, a child who's entrapped in uh, transgender confusion or whatever, my hope is that the blinders get taken off by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they have an encounter with Jesus that brings healing and transformation. Um, my job as a pastor and your job is to stand for truth and to speak the truth and to declare the word of the Lord because there's power in the word of the Lord. Um, but our weapons truly are supernatural, and uh, and we have to fight with those weapons. And if you don't know who your enemy is, you don't know who you're fighting. And so we're saying one of your enemies today is Baal. The spirit of Baal is alive and well, and is seeking to invert, to to erase, to turn upside down, 
uh, everything that God has that's pure and true and righteous, you know. And even when your kids are young, to be able to see see the strategies, see the signs of it, see the see their use of technology. And we, we talk about technology to be able to see where he's piggybacking, that word, that spirit is piggybacking all these different areas. Absolutely. And to look out for that, to realize that there's a spiritual side to whatever video they might be watching, you know? Right. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize everything, but just to have an understanding and, and, and be aware, yeah, you know? it's good. Yeah. Well, hey, this felt good being back Welcome in the back. Saddle. Welcome back. It's good to have you back <laughs> on the saddle. Matthew, I can run and hug and kiss you right now, man. It's so good to be up here and... Uh, be back doing what we're doing so anyway thank you guys too i i uh, I, I so appreciate the feedback and um encouragement and we'll look forward to being with you next thursday